Hey, Brennan, I'm thinking of a four-letter word. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, this is when we tell the audience the four-letter words yeah. we say. Yeah, So, So uh, what do you think it is? Shh. No, I'm not going to shush. I'm really excited about it. Okay, um... Uh, no, I don't like fudge in the four-letter word I'm thinking of. What? What are you? We're talking about swear words right now. Oh, are we? This is that yeah. part of. The, oh, we no. swear, audience. We swear. Get over it. Uh, back to the four-letter word. Quain's thinking of. Yeah, it's my birthday. So what am I thinking oh, shit. of? Shit! Happy birthday, man. Dude, cake. Ah. Yeah. All right, guys. On with the show. Welcome to What Ails Ya, a podcast about beer, the people who make it, and the ultimate question: What ails ya? All right, so there's this really important thing that I think we forgot to mention about our podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think in the last episode, our 1010 episode, I think uh, everybody started to get it. What you probably we're doing. heard it, and you probably noticed maybe a little bit more ambient sound, and that's actually one of the most important things about what ails you. We like to visit the brewers on site, and this is a question that we get a lot when we're meeting people. Is do they come to you or, you yeah. know, and no, we visit, we take the drive, we take the trip. So Jeff and I will be at every brewery with your, your head brewer. So yeah. yeah. So it gives us a sense of authenticity to be there on their turf talking about their product. And I think it makes the, you know, them more comfortable. It gives us the opportunity to get to know the brewery as well as the brewer so that when we talk about it, we can come back to you, the audience and be like, we were there. This is what we saw. This is what we experienced. This is why we love this brewery. And this is why you should go check them out. And I think it also, they're not maybe used to being interviewed. So it makes them feel more at home. They're more comfortable there. And I think this episode kind of proves that. And yeah. yeah. So let's let's discuss this episode. Yeah. Where do we go? So this episode, we went to Tampa. And if you hear Tampa and you think Florida beer, what do you think of? For me, there is the answer of Cigar City. Absolutely. It has to be, right? It has to be. Yeah. And, and did we aim high really quick in in this podcast? We kind of did. We kind of wanted to shoot the moon on this one. We wanted to go straight to, I think, you know, one of the top dogs in Florida beer. And uh, and they do. They do amazing things. And there's a number that Wayne's going to bring up on how many beers they actually make in one year that blew my mind. Yeah. I guesstimated, mm-hmm. and he way over yeah. hit my expectations there. So yeah. that was awesome. That was really awesome. What well, what was it like being back in Tampa? Yeah, so for some of you that don't know, I lived there for about three years, um, and that was actually where I had my first alcoholic drink. Really, I think <laughs> no I had, way. yeah. So uh, my friend Harold, he was in a band called Hankshaw, and uh, he got me into Hornsby's uh, apple cider. And uh, it was interesting, you know, we we have taken a trip, and we skipped Tampa altogether, I think, when we went to go see Brian Wilson a few months mm-hmm. back, and we went to St. Petersburg. Totally separate places, guys. They're only about 20 minutes, 20 miles from each other. But it, I only worked three miles from that brewery. So going back, it's just like everything is built up. Yeah. Where Dale Mabry is, where these guys live on Spruce and, and, and Dale Mabry, it was crazy to see. There's so much there now. There's so yeah. much life. And then Ybor City, where the misconception I think people think of Cigar where City, Cigar City, Ybor City. Ybor right. City. Yeah. So, and this is where your, your cigars were being made back yeah. in the day when uh, – in, in Tampa was Ybor City. And if you have the chance, guys, please go to Ybor City. See the, the brick roads. Yeah. Feel the brick buildings that really were these cigar manufacturing companies. There's and a lot of history there. Tons of history. Tons of history. And you know what's cool about Cigar City specifically is they pride themselves on their relationship to Tampa's history. Very true. 
Uh, in today's interview, uh, you're, you're going to get to talk to Neil Callahan. Yeah. Who is Cigar City's El Lector. And I, I, I don't know if I know what that is. Yeah. If I ever gave my business card and said I was the El Lector. Yeah. So you, you probably don't have that business card. I don't know that anybody else in the beer community does because it actually re- relates to the cigar industry. So every, nice. every cigar factory used to have this position called the El Lector. It was the person that, while the factory workers were you know, making cigars, this person was reading the news, was reading stories from this podium, like this eight-foot podium that kind of over, overlooked the factory. And, and the listeners uh, to this El Lector were the cigar makers. They were making cigars, but because they were working so hard and they couldn't read the news or, or stay informed, it was this guy's job. That's fascinating. To keep them informed, to keep them engaged and entertained. And basically be kind of like the relations to the real world. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting. That's actually what Neil Callahan does for Cigar City. I he, like that. He's it the makes... elector. He yep. keeps the brewery entertained. He keeps the people informed. More importantly, he keeps, you know, us uh, consumers of Cigar City up to date on what's going on at Cigar City. So I'm really excited to meet him. It's a cool title. Um, and, and obviously Wayne. Wayne. Uh, so Wayne's been with, uh, with Cigar City since the beginning. Uh, when they opened... Um, you know, he was there. He was the one making the test beers. Uh, Joey Redner, founder of Cigar City, brought him in and said, uh, with almost complete creative liberty, make whatever you want. And in those first test batches, what's really cool is one of their first beers, one of the ones that Wayne said, I wouldn't have been able to make anywhere else, was Hunapu. Get out. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because Hunapu, I knew, has been there for a while. Mm-hmm. So get out. Yeah, he had this like total creative license to make really interesting beers that you know that he said I wouldn't have been able to do anywhere else, and I think that kind of started what makes Cigar City really special. And that had to be, I guess, two thousand nine, and really mm-hmm. no other breweries were popping up like we're seeing now. So yeah, no other brewery would say, please, they wanted to be probably keeping their hops, keeping yeah. their, their their barley. That's fascinating. And yeah. Thank God that happened. Yeah. Let's right? be honest. Yeah. yeah. Look at, yeah. I mean, look at Hunapu now with uh, Hunapu Fest happening and, you know, selling out in what seemed like minutes. Yeah. Minutes. Minutes. And watching. I mean, guys, I'll be honest. When Hunapu Fest went on sale, I had my iPhone in front of me and seeing, I was in line of over yeah. a thousand. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, you know, Cigar City's got a great history. Um, I'm excited that, you know, that we got to be there. Um, you know, and it's not like that was our first time. We've been there. Yeah. Lots of times. Yeah. Um, it's worth the trip, you know, it's for, very much for the people that aren't in Tampa, go check it out. We probably say that too much about every brewery that we go to, uh, but I would definitely say Cigar City is one of those ones that if you're into craft beer in Florida and you haven't been, you're kind of doing it wrong. Yeah. And, and definitely do the flight. Go see Sam, uh, you know, Sam Malloy. She's back there. Good friend of ours. And she's definitely one of the, the brains of just keeping, your your palate always yeah. always trying new things there, and I yeah. love what Sam does back there. So, so that's you know, guys, we wanted to let you know uh, there's something really important happening in What Ails You, and you probably heard it a little bit in the 1010 episode. Um, but we're on site. Uh, it's our always. pleasure to go and visit these brewers, and they're always so hospitable. It's, it's so fun. It's the most important thing that we do at What Ails You, uh, and it just means that we get to go have a good time at the brewery. Uh, so uh, maybe next time you're in one of Florida's local breweries, you'll get to see us recording. That'd be fun, actually. Be come say awesome. hi. Yeah, definitely come say hi to us. Absolutely. That'd be really cool. So, all right. So, um, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's, okay. Uh, let's go get into Cigar City. All right. 
Enjoy the show, guys. So uh, I'm on Dale Mabry. Uh, I used to to work about three miles up the road, I think it was, Vinyl Fever. I used to live in Tampa, actually. Mm -hmm. I got here Uh, in 2008. Um, Wasn't there a Vinyl Fever in Tallahassee? Because I seem to remember that one, but I don't know if it's a chain or... I've never been to Tallahassee. Um, The furthest north, I think, I just keep Jacksonville, but I drive right through it, even though I know we've got to make some stops into Jacksonville for the podcast. Don't know much about it. But I know, yeah, I only lived here short, though. I only lived here about two years. I used to hit Vinyl Fever in the early 90s. Um, We'd make road trips to see shows at the moon in Tallahassee. Yeah. Um, My Bloody Valentine and Dinosaur Jr., I think, was the first show I I saw there. And they're coming here, too, Dinosaur Jr., right? They're coming here? Uh, Would be nice. Yeah, I think because I know they're coming to Orlando. Is that a dual bill, My Bloody Valentine? They were together, That's a really good show. My Bloody Valentine opened, yeah. Yeah, 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 they blasted your germs out, and Jay Maskus came out and finished them off <laughs> so Neil how about you how long have you lived in uh, Tampa I've lived in Tampa since October of 2014 um, okay. so two years and change at this point I was way out of here I guess by that time so uh, what brought you here to Neil what brought you here to uh, to Tampa well immediately previous to this I was living in Atlanta Georgia okay. and the opportunity presented itself to come down and work with Wayne and work with the guys at Cigar City and couldn't turn it down okay um, so then that's good let's start with Cigar City Wayne Explain how you got into Cigar City, and let's do a little history of what, why we call it Cigar City, if you could do that. So when did you end up in Cigar City Brewing? Um, I was working at Foothills Brewing Company in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and um, I uh, ended up sending my resume down and um, ended up getting uh, doing an interview over the phone, and I was hired not too long after that and uh, came down and my first day of work is March 24th, 2008. Nice. Okay. So when you walked in, when you walked in, was it anything already built or what did you see when you walked in? When you met Joey, how did that work? Like, this how, what happened? This area we're sitting in right now was pretty much just a dirty warehouse with, um, with uh, not junk, people's stuff in it, but um, it was just more of a storage facility. And um, uh, there was this building here actually um, was rotting and full of termites. Um, it was also the bathroom back then. But, um, yeah, it's a very, very different building back yeah. then. So, and then Cigar City. Why do we call it Cigar City? Me being from Tampa, I mean, living in Tampa, but an audience might not know what that is. And Cigar what? City in reference to Tampa is sort of like saying the Big Apple in reference to New York or the Big Easy in reference to New Orleans. And it pretty much is based on the fact that at one point we had um, factories that probably produced the most hand-rolled cigars in the U.S. So okay. Yeah, previous, previous to the Cuban Revolution, Tampa was the biggest purchaser of Cuban-made tobacco in the world. Right. So it was the unofficial cigar capital of the world, hence the name Cigar City. And we see that in Ybor City, right? We still see that there is still love for the cigar. I mean, it still has that old-time feel. So for, like, somebody coming into Tampa... If, I say check out Ebor just to get that old we also time have, feel. We'll, there's also multi-generational rollers that work for us and actually roll in our tasting room as well. Nice. Um, so if you wanted to skip or consolidate a trip, you could probably just come here and buy cigars from the tasting room. That's awesome. And Neil, so you come in, 
Where, where are you from? Where, where's home originally? Uh, from New York originally. Okay. So it's first state or? Uh, Long Island. First Long 18 Island. years we're on Long Island. Where's the, where's the accent? You it comes it? out every now and okay. then. Okay, okay. Yeah, every now and then I go drink a fucking coffee, you know? Okay, it's all right. there it is. But um, long and winding road through a, a number of different kind of pit stops in New England and elsewhere in, in New York State. I ended up living in Georgia. Um, I was living in Athens and then moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, really got a, a great appreciation for the South. I, I love living in the South, and then again, the opportunity presented itself down at Cigar City, and couldn't turn it down. Yeah, that's gonna be my, like my next question. Like, do you like it here? Was the was the move everything you wanted? And wh- Wayne, where are you originally from? Like, where was home originally? A small town in the in Southeast Alabama called Enterprise. It's about um, seven miles away from a military installation. That's Army called Fort, Fort Rucker. Okay. Um, and is, what, did, what did mom and dad do? Like, what, was dad part of the Army, or was that just... My dad was a civilian helicopter mechanic, but okay. he's worked several different jobs uh, prior to that and after that. Um, my mother is retired now, but she, was, um, she used to work for attorneys, and she was also the town clerk for even, an even smaller town called Level Plains, um, which is about 10 to 15 miles away from my hometown. Okay. And uh, how about you, Neil? Like, what was family like? Um, Mom is a high school health teacher. Okay. She's been at the same school for many, many years nice. and loves being a teacher. My father works for the MTA. He does um, uh, essentially safety stuff for the company that runs the buses and trains in New York City. And so any siblings? Was there, like, somebody that got you into beer? Like, how did that happen? How did, the, like, a brother or a sister say, hey, here's a... Here, sneak a like a sip of something, or was it just like? I was the um, I was pr- pretty much grew up as an only child because my my younger brother is 11 years apart from me. He's 11 years younger, um, so I decided not to go to college and ended up um, working in restaurants and bars and different places like that in order to make a living until I could figure out what I wanted to do, and just became enamored with the culture and um, and different possibilities and. Fort Rucker, the military military installation, also brought a lot of, a lot of culture to the area because mm-hmm. of all the traveling and the military brats. And um, probably my interaction with the military brats is why I don't really have a southern, um, you know, have that southern accent. Okay, uh, I mean, yeah. But uh, I think it was just it was definitely a time with food where I really enjoyed cooking after working for different restaurants and seeing the different cultures, and then um, eventually came across craft beer. And, uh, and there was so little available in the area, mostly imports at best. So I started brewing beer to understand what certain beers were that I couldn't get. And how old were you um, out there? Where, where did you start that? I was 23 years old um, oh, okay. when I first started brewing. And um, I, was, I was just living in Enterprise, and there were very little options. So I started brewing them in order to understand and just became... Uh, obsessed with it. So with food, you mentioned food. Were you, was your palate for food going towards the beers like you are now? Were you picking apart flavors then with food? And were you making anything, I guess, with your beers? Did you say, all right, well, let's try this while you're home brewing? Or was it just your basic brews? A lot of the beers in the beginning were very um, culinary inspired. Um, so after I sort of figured out what a lot of the the more common styles were, then I started uh, deviating pretty drastically. And it, and it didn't take very long for that to happen either. Um, I, I worked for, you know, Italian, Mexican, Mediterranean, Greek, all these different types of restaurants and allowed me to see a lot, a lot of different culture. However, you know, maybe the interpretation wasn't strictly um, 
those particular things, but it was enough to get me interested. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I, I just started brewing and didn't didn't look back. Neil, what did you go to school for? Like, what's what? Was beer always in your horizon? No, no. no. I, I studied music in, in college. And what do you play? Guitar, bass, a little bit of keyboards, okay. kind of whatever I get my hands on. Nice. Um, but <clears throat> got out of college with a music degree, and needless to say, there's not a whole lot of uh, professional opportunities for somebody with a music degree. So started bartending and ended up bartending in a place uh, on Long Island called Mr. Beery's, and it you know, was owned by a big dude named Steve Beery, and if you oh. take a picture like a, a bar owner from Long Island, that's what he was. You know, he was Steve Beery, you know? Yeah. So uh, Callahan, you're gonna be my bartender, and you know, cracking Bud Lights and Miller Lights was, was the bread doing. and butter, but at the same time, Steve was really into craft beer, so he always had some really good, whether it was Blue Point, whether it was um, Long Island, Long Ireland was just starting up at, at the time. Okay. So some of the more early Long Island craft breweries he had on draft back in 2008, 2009. Um, got into beer, and then in, in my travels was able to um, travel a lot with bands, which was nice. I get to see the, the country, see the world playing music, which was nice. But that opens up your, your opportunity to go see uh, different breweries and try different styles of beer. So that was really how I got immersed in beer was starting to bartend and then being able to travel and try a lot of uh, different craft beers. Well, and also we were actually both in math rock bands. I was going to ask. Not, the, not okay. the same ones, but <laughs> right. um, his was more successful or, or you were uh, more persistent and actually got to play out more than we more did. But masochistic no shit. more than so, anything. <laughs> so then, wait, what do you play? What, what is your instrument of choice then? Uh, I started back in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, um, as a vocalist and then picked up guitar because I wanted more control of the music in addition to being able to sing. Um, so... Yeah, that's what I did. I screamed. I, I did a lot of um, quality screaming and yeah. uh, and play guitar and played fairly noisy guitar as well. That's and, awesome. And we have a lot of common reference points for some of those early '90s kind of noisy math rock bands like the Slime. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to get to travel with Wayne a lot. And oh, that's um, great. That's some of my my best memories of hanging out with Wayne are being really drunk and talking about yeah, Slint or. <laughs> Uh, some of those early Discord bands. Yeah, so uh, what's funny is uh, three episodes in a row, the 90s have come up, uh, and Dinosaur Jr., two episodes in a row, 1010 in this one. Uh, we, we spoke about, I think the episode opened 1010 with Dinosaur Jr. Like, that was my album of last year is the new album because yeah. it was a really good album. And I think Jay Maskus does that. He doesn't change up. I, I, I love that band. Yeah. I'm just saying that one of our brewers a little while ago who listens to Dino Jr. all the time yeah. said, you could take the vocal track from any Dinosaur Jr. Yes. and put it onto any other vo any other track and know You'll have another album. Difference. Yeah, you'll never know the difference. But, you'll have another album. But it's not about the vocals. That band's about Jay Maskus. I love the way he plays guitar. Yeah. The, Unbelievable. It's about him playing out of eight full stacks and six different distortion pedals. With the highs cranked through the roof and destroying your eardrums. Yeah, gain yeah. all the way up. So we talk about like the math rock and, and you taking control with that guitar, uh, I could see it totally because I feel with your beers, we do that here. So let's talk about the birth of you coming into Cigar City. Uh, the Maduro Brown Ale was what, 2009? That was the first beer that I think you made here? That was the first commercial batch. Right, okay. But back in 2008, we're already brewing pilots. Um, so we're generally brewing 10 gallon batches just to sort of refine and create um, some some type of portfolio. Um, and uh, the very first beer that we brewed was actually a Scotch Ale. Um, it ended up uh, not necessarily going the direction I wanted it to, 
but it was the first time that um, that I'd used my my three-tiered homebrew system in years because I'd been commercially brewing. So, you know, I, d- I didn't want to go and commercially brew and then come home and home- start homebrewing. Um, there had to be time for my own personal life as well. Um, and then, you know, Highlight was, was also produced as a pilot um, before it was ever brewed commercially. Um, Marcel Zukov, um, Good Gourd, and, and a couple of different iterations and evolutions. Um, bunch of different things. We did Guava Grove as a pilot. And these beers that we still see today, Good Gourd is in your refrigerator right now, High Lie we see mostly, like I can't say everywhere because we know it's a sought-off beer in the West Coast, like people really want it. I know if I were to bring, let's say, a, a four-pack of White Oak to somewhere in Seattle or, or Oregon, forget it, they would flip out. It'll, and, uh, it'll open some doors for yeah, sure. Yeah, nice. yeah. But um, I, I find it amazing that you still keep those beers here but you're still always, always, always making uh, newer beers. And we bring up the, the White Oak highlight. Are we still making White Oak from day one? Are you still using, like, wood? Or how do you make the White Oak? White Oak took a little while um, to, to actually get to producing. Um, well, we use a unique method to infuse wood and stainless so that uh, I, I think it's really important for beers that are hop-forward or beers that are maybe a little bit lower in alcohol. Um, if you're infusing wood through uh, inside of a stainless vessel, then you limit um, oxidation, which is definitely not something you want to happen to a hop forward beer or a petite beer. Uh, so we have this uh, this unit that we call the Spinbot 5000. Okay. And basically, it's a converted Grundy tank on wheels that has separate things that you that we use to, that keep the the solids out of the beer. And we basically pump the beer out of the fermenter and through the infusion vessel packed with whatever we're infusing it with and then return it to the fermenter. So we can generally pick up things pretty quickly and, um, and we have a pretty good idea of you know, if we've infused to the right level that we want. Um, and uh, this, this wasn't always so because in the beginning we used to use static um, and we we're basically just throwing, throwing things on top of the fermenter and you have static contact, and it would take a longer period of time to get those flavors. And it, you, there's also a certain degree of, um, of stratification that was taking place. And we didn't figure that out until after a while. And we, later on, we, before we started going to recirculation, we, uh, we, we realized we would probably get a more accurate idea of what, where we were at in, in the stage of infusion if we would bubble CO2 to sort of homogenize everything. Right. So we talk about, I guess, the learning curves. Where did we originally start? Like, were we reading about, like, how to make beer? Where did, where did you learn? Like, what was your... In the very beginning? Yeah, who was your mentor when you first started? Like, who would you read? Who would you... Cause... Someone gave me a book for Christmas, and it, was, um, it wasn't Charlie Papazian's New Complete Joy. It was The Homebrewer's Companion, Okay, which was a book that doesn't talk about how to brew beer it gets into um intermediate to advanced home brewing immediately okay so that's how you started so you i read right that in. book from cover to cover and almost did not brew because i w- i was severely confused um and then finally i just kept thumbing through the book trying to figure out where i'd gone wrong or what information i'd missed and i came across something that basically um 
said, well, you should read the first book. Or he also wrote this book. Right. And I went back and read that book. Um, and those are probably the first two strong books that uh, I use for home brewing. And then the next step when I went to Old Grain Brewing was uh, um, Ray Daniel's book, uh, Designing Great Beers. Okay, yeah. And that was, that was a Bible of mine for years. And he's known everywhere just for like judging beer and cicerone yeah 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 and how about you neil where where did you have you made your own beer ever or yeah i've done a little bit of home brewing Um, okay you know i've never been a commercial brewer i've mostly been on the retail end and um now i'm kind of on the back end so i'm i'm in a unique position now where i'm able to take a lot of that technical information that's happening with wayne and our production managers and, and the brewers and essentially digest it down into information that our sales and marketing guys can use right um the same way you know when especially when wayne gets off uh, on a on a roll and starts talking about total titratable acidity and starts talking about you know the conversion of s-methylmethionine to dimethyl sulfide that's kind of like my job is to jump in and go well this is actually what that means is um this this and that and you so, get it all. You, you. So where did you learn that? Did you have to read about it? A lot or? of reading. A lot um, of reading. I took a beer judge certification test back in 2010. Okay. And I did it kind of under the mentorship of a guy named uh, Eric Johnson out in Athens, Georgia. So he was run, He owned the bar that I worked at at the time, which was called Trapeze. And he's now the owner and brewmaster of a place called Wild Heaven that's up in... Decatur. Uh, yeah, Decatur, Avondale Estates, so essentially Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And... Um, Wayne obviously is is an incredible source of information and, and a uh, authority on really everything when it comes to beer. When he met Eric, he he said, "Oh wow, this guy really knows his stuff." So for for Wayne to kind of vouch and say, "Yeah, oh, you so you know Eric? That's really cool because that guy knows that he knows his stuff forwards and backwards." So I was very fortunate to have someone like Eric when I was starting to get really passionate about beer, um, and fortunate now to have someone like Wayne around that I can pick his brain or you know really dive into any kind of technical aspect of, of beer. He's an incredible wealth of information. So it's a Eric at Wild Heaven and then Wayne, certainly the two of them have considered mentors. Yeah, you're, you're in a good spot. So a lot of places are opening up. We're seeing a lot of breweries uh, coming up. I mean, the fact that we could make a we say it's a weekly podcast, and it is, and we're saying the first season's just 2017. I'm sure we could do 2018 in Florida. Um, so with new breweries opening up two, three a month in Florida, are we scared for what's about to happen to hops? Are we going to have enough hops? Like We have no problem with hops. Okay, so, okay, because this yeah. is something I just thought about the other day. Well, I was like, well, holy shit, there's so much coming up. I mean, as far as our production's concerned. Not just for you. I mean, yeah. There's yeah. no issue with us because okay. we... We started contracting back in like 09 or 10, um, and then around 2012 or so, I started going out to Yakima every year for hop harvest and selecting our lots of hops. Oh, nice. Um, and we've we've just done that ever since. And it's also helped us sort of define which specific traits we're looking for and, and certain hop varieties for um, certain brands. and. Right. Um, and I feel like that helps to kind of separate those brands from maybe another beer that's dry hopped with Simcoe or another beer that has one specific hop. Yeah, because I, I feel maybe is, I, again, was nervous. Is like, are we ever going to run out of hops? Or like a barley is like, is, can other smaller breweries get nervous? So that's why I asked because there's a lot, a lot alone here. And there, there, so. There's definitely a ceiling on raw materials. Okay. At the same okay. time, what you're seeing a lot now is some of those uh, farmers out in Yakima Valley, out in Willamette Valley, yeah. or they're starting to essentially allocate some of those acreage, some of that acreage to 
different types of hops. Okay. Whereas they maybe were making Columbus or something that's maybe a little more traditional a couple years ago. Now they're starting to turn some of that acreage toward, like Wayne was mentioning, Simcoe or Citra or, or right. some of those um, some of those other hops that are really starting to take off with craft. At, at the same time, though, there's still a lot of room to grow, and craft still represents less than 20% of overall beer consumption. And they're, in, they're increasing acreage annually, okay, um, and they're specific, specifically targeting um, data points that they're receiving from total demand based upon um, allocation. So basically, it's me telling... Uh, purveyor, I need this many thousand pounds of this variety. Right. And then they take all that data, compile it into one thing, and they say, okay, we need this much acreage. If this particular variety is producing this, this many pounds per acre, you need to plant this based upon these allocations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the increased acreage is another thing, too. And you're, you're seeing hops grown in different parts of the country now outside of just the Northwest. Um, but Idaho's, Idaho has also increased acreage. Um, and, uh, you know, hops were uh, strictly grown, grown in the northeast U.S. in the beginning. Okay. And uh, northwest didn't really uh, start, you know, growing until uh, quite, a, quite a while after that. And then it became so specific to the northwest. I want to say 75% of all hops grown in the world come out of, uh, come out of the northwest U.S. I love it. Because um, I'm a huge, I got married right outside of Portland, um, Multnomah Falls. So for me, I've always been a wine guy. Uh, 42 years old today, the day of the, the release of this podcast. Well, uh, happy birthday. Yeah, happy yeah, birthday. So uh, turn 42 and... You don't look a day over 40. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> feeling it, feeling it. For me, I, I started to fall in love with what the Northwest of IPAs. You're, I, if I, rumor has it, Green Flash, uh, West, the West Coast IPA, one of your favorites. Is that true? Yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely um, one of my favorites. Now, I mean, it's, there's so many, there's so much, so many options now that yeah, you know, tons. Um, uh, I tend to, to stray when I have access to it. I was a huge fan of uh, Green Flash IPA back in the early, you know, around 2012 or so. Do you mind if we get into, we talked about the Northwest. Can we talk about the Northeast, uh, New England IPAs? I think this is a new thing that people are flipping out about. You see uh, his uh, blood pressure increasing? No. I prefer not to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Because I, okay. I won't have anything good to say. Okay. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I just knew it was something that people were really excited about, and I just was like, I'm not know, one of them. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say the, the level of haze that we get in Highlight, which is very, 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 very little, it's minimal, right. is about the limit that we want to see in, in our IPAs. Okay, good. Because uh, I... Wondering if this is something that the Southeast will see, and that's why I guess I was going to ask. Is you know, you're certainly starting to see it in a lot of different parts of the country. Yeah, um, that's why. Civil Society down in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah, the extra pulp. Um, Calusa in Sarasota, Florida. Mm-hmm. They're doing some really exceptional, really, really hazy IPAs. Um, clinging on to it. They're really kind of clinging yeah, on to for that. for sure. Never will we see that from Cigar City then. Uh, if, if you do, it won't be something that I've been that involved in. Okay, so... So Joey asks you to come here, and, and we see it. We, we start to notice that people are, are drinking the beers. When do we start expanding? When are you getting this? You've had the freedom, but when are you now able to do? We talked about over 100, like in one year, you're making 100 flavors. When do we start? When do we have that freedom now to start making maybe 20 a year? 30 a year? Right now, everything's uh, kind of tight um, because we're in a transitionary phase where we're going to uh, 
increase some of our core brand production, uh, different facilities that are shared between um, Oscar Blues and Cigar City. Right, right. And uh, this this kind of um, has limited some of our production. Okay. So we'll still be able to do, um, we'll be able to, I think once we get through quarter one, I think we'll be able to to start going back to being more diverse. We're sticking with our seasonal plan right. for the year, but quarter one is kind of tight until we can concretely make those transitions and feel good about them. And uh, how about you? Like, what are you noticed some of the beers uh, that he's making? Were did you guys ever feel there was too many you were making, or, or did yeah, you... a, a lot of times there were there were too many. Yeah, okay. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. The as we've grown, let's say up until very recently, we weren't as concerned about the ability for us to make new brands and how that would impact Highlight or Maduro or, or things like that. We would say, well, we're going to make as much Highlight as we can, but right. we also want to try and make this cool recipe that Wayne had in the back of his mind or, you know, hey, this brewer has a cool recipe for a, a porter that he wants to try. Um, but now we're getting into a, a point where we're saying in order for us to continue to grow, we need to focus on highlight and we need to continue to get, um, devote as much space, as much brewing right. capacity to, to those brands. At the same time, um, we have released at this point over 900 individual styles of beer, which is Holy cow. Ridiculous. Yeah, totally that's ridiculous. Some of them have been brewed on a very small scale. Some of them have been literally one keg. Some of them have been, you know, scaled up to where we're brewing it a couple times a year. Right. So it, it all depends on the beer. Um, we certainly let the market dictate a little bit of that. You know, for instance, we had a, a beer that I actually was hoping to be drinking right now. It's called Space Pope IPA. Uh -huh. um, it was a recipe that our production manager came up with, a guy named Sean. So the beer, I think, is exceptional. It's it's just, it's the same ballpark as Highlight. It's that good an IPA, definitely. Nice. And once it was out, it's out. Like, it's, so get it. we brewed 15 barrels. We brewed 30 kegs. We put it on draft in the tasting room. And within a month, the beer was gone. We went through no, 30 kidding. kegs in, in, in a month. Um, so that's a beer we are going to revisit because of the, the essentially pull through because of how quickly we went through the beer. Um, sometimes it's those beers might not be brewed again because of production capacity or because of raw materials. You okay, know, there's some right. beers that we brew that um, we look at it at the end of the day. We go, well, that beer was delicious, but this ingredient cost us however much money. This ingredient's cost us this much money. So it just doesn't make make sense. To keep doing it, right? And then, yeah. But did you like that freedom to do that? I mean, it's fun. It's kind of like a, that punk rock feeling, like, you know, we're, we are making whatever beer we want, even now. But has it been fun making these beers? Yeah, sure. Extremely, to me, right? it, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like skateboarding and you do this really big trick and you land it and roll off smoothly. That's what it feels like, kind of similar feeling when you, when you pull off this experimental beer and everything turns out like you want it to. Um, but, I mean, the good news out of all of this is even though things might be kind of tight during the first quarter, we're opening up more states. So there are going to be more states that will have fresh product um, that you know, didn't have access to that product in the right. past. So here we are in the brewery, and I guess we could hear. Uh, we actually have a tour going on right here. I love it. I love the fact that we're sitting in the heart of it. So how many people do you feel walk through those doors a year? Because you guys are the biggest brewery in, in Florida. And congratulations to that. How many feet? How many? How many? Ten, tens of thousands a year, right? Tens of thousands. You know, we're we're just now getting into a point where we're mining some of our credit card data and pulling out different zip codes. But it's people literally from all Smart. over the world that are that are coming through. Um, we're lucky that Florida is a tourist destination, which is great. Right. And 
I, th I think me personally having spent a lot of time in the tasting room, I end up seeing a lot of families coming in, it being a, a tourist destination, okay, which is good. great. Yeah. But it's a lot of the parents saying, let's, let's go to Disney for the week, but mom and dad are going to get their yeah. time to relax when they get to go to the brewery. The kids, the kids stay with grandma for the day, like maybe they'll do something like that, and but mom and dad come you know, in. We're family friendly, we're dog friendly in yeah. the tasting room, um, and that's always been important to us for sure. But it, as far as numbers of uh, headcount coming through, it's literally tens of thousands. I have to ask Jillian, because I don't know if this, I, I want to think we've brought Shankly or Paisley here, because we always go to the postcard in. We kind of try to frequent to, nice, yeah. Uh, yeah, to St. Pete, and this is always the stop. We'll always hit Cigar City. We'll get like a growler or two, or like a growler or two, just to kind of have at postcard if we want to drink there. And Shankly has probably done this a few times with us, so I wonder if Shankly's ever met no. Egg. What, what kind? Uh, they're corgi. So, oh yeah, that's right. Wayne got to meet yeah. uh, Shankly and Paisley cool through my phone. Dogs. Yeah. So we have two corgis. Uh, so let's talk about another employee that's with us right now. I don't know where she walked off to, but Egg. So Egg is Egg is your little baby, huh? She's, she's, she's your, my dog. She came yeah. with me in the deal. So said, she's the greeter. Yeah, if you want me to come work for you, my Egg. dog's coming with me. That's awesome. Um, she's a lab pit mix. She's about 45 pounds. She's getting up there in age. She's about eight or nine right now. Okay. She was a stray, so who knows? But. Um, I feel super fortunate that everybody who works in the brewery is super cool with her. She just kind of wanders around and says hi to people. And if she has to go to the bathroom, she'll let herself out and go and then come <laughs> back in. She's, awesome. yeah, I don't need to worry about her going anywhere. But she loves hanging out in the tasting room because she gets loved on all day. And yeah. then when the food truck pulls up at night, she sits and parks in front of the food truck and waits for somebody to throw her some scraps. We should have a short film based on Egg, the the point of view of Egg, and uh, it's uh, going to be a lot of uh, food and a lot of see. Yeah, I don't know if you notice. I, I like that. So egg but food truck connoisseur, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. But it's nice too. You know, I, like I said, I do get to travel a lot, and a lot I get to travel with Wayne, and she's gone to she's been to 40 states. She's been to probably 100 different so breweries. So she goes with you to every. Holy cow! Well, she didn't go to Estonia with him, but no, no. If, if we um, if we travel. And if we're driving, then she's coming with me, which is nice. Okay. And um, and Wayne, how about you? How many uh, how many dogs do you have, or any puppies at home? I have two Brussels Griffins. Yeah. Um, both from the same parents, just different litters, and one is a smooth coat and one is a coarse coat. And their names? What are their names? One is named Louis after Louis Armstrong, and the other one is named Grendel after Beowulf. Okay. Should we pause for Neil right now, or should we just keep going? Do you feel... He's going to get some beer. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? It's straight from the source. It's topping up. <laughs> so, as we said, we are in the brewery, so yeah, he's, he's, he's going over there. So which one's this one? This is a unnamed, uh, unbranded sour beer. Okay. I'm, okay. A lot, I'm a lot more interesting when I have a beer in my hand, so figured I'd swing by and grab it's one. It's funny. We were like, so he's going over there. We might take a pause. So coming into last year, we're not, we're, I wanted to talk about some of your favorite beers that we, you guys travel to a lot of breweries. Uh, this might be a time to name drop, but also some of your favorite beers that you guys got to try in 2016. What, what were some of those? Yeah, Wayne, you'll go first then. Uh, Little Prince, Jester King. Yeah, yeah, that thing's fantastic. I thought, thought that was really nice, uh, really full-flavored beer for such low ABV. Um, and then I was in England last year for a week and got to spend a week drinking cast beer, um, which is probably one of my favorite things to drink in the world. Um, Hawkshead has a beer um, called Windermere Pale Ale, and it's like a 3.7% pale ale on cask, and I drank quite a bit of that. 
Um, you also have uh, their head brewer is from New Zealand, okay. and um, he makes uh, another like bitter or pale ale with straight New Zealand hops. I can't recall the name. I, I apologize, but no, no. I drank quite a bit of that. Um, Landlord um, is uh, another one that I drank quite a bit of when I was over there. Um, I just love Louis BV beers that are flavorful mm-hmm. and not thin-bodied. Exactly. And uh, you can run across a lot of that in England. And do you do this to find future collaborations with, or like when well, you go out to other breweries, what are I, you looking for? I went there to brew with three different breweries. Nice. So I brewed um, at Hawkshead um, in Staveley, which is in the Lake District. It's uh, northwest England. And then I went to Leeds and I brewed with Northern Monk. And then I went to Huddersfield and I brewed with Magic Rock. And uh, any of these get to see the light of day here in, uh, in the U.S. or they just stay probably U- usually, there? Usually not. Um, I mean, I, I usually get a few cans or bottles shipped to me sure. so I can yeah. just sort of see how they turned out. Um, but I've also been seriously considering um, brewing those beers over here as a collaboration with the international breweries because I'm starting to realize that, you know, I think that people here would, would enjoy to enjoy being able to try these beers. Yeah, um, definitely. And a lot of them have turned out really well. So um, next month, uh, February the 13th, we're going to somewhat recreate a beer that I brewed in Ireland last year um, with Galway Bay Brewing, brewing uh, and, and Galway Bay, of course. Um, his friend of mine, Will Avery, who used to brew for Burnt Hickory and... Uh, and uh georgia um, yep he will be over here he's last year he took over as head brewer for galway bay brewing um but will be making a visit to brew with us and nola that's fantastic and how about you neil what are what are your 2016s um creature comforts is always one of my favorite breweries yeah. and i was able to go up there a couple times this year and obviously tropicalia gets better and better um but even some of the collabs that they had done up there recently they did one um, with Jester King, that was phenomenal. It was mutualism. That that beer was really, really great. Um, the Answer Brew Pub was up in Richmond a couple months ago. They're doing some of the best beer, I think, in that area. That's a good name. I like um, that, the Answer. Yeah, the Answer. That's so really good. Those guys are lunatics, but they're they, they're making some good beer. Um, and even some of the stuff that to us is a little tough to find, but is more ubiquitous in different parts of the country. Like Wayne and I were out in California in June. Um, being able to drink Pivo Pills from Firestone Walker. Yeah. That's yeah, one of my yeah. favorite beers ever. Yeah. It's a very good beer. And I love those guys. You go to California, you can get it in any convenience store. But right. Here? Yeah. Even on the East Coast? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we went out for the Firestone Walker Invitational Beer Festival, which is one of the, the best executed and, say, best beer list comprised uh, beer festivals in the country. It's exceptional. And they really roll the red carpet out for brewers, and they do this. Um, yeah. Yeah. They do a brewer's reception the day before the festival yeah. at a water park in Paso Robles. So being able to sit in a lazy river on an inner tube and drink like four or five Pivo pills, that was that's the best that, thing that ever. was one of the highlights of my year for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, also, um, since we're talking about Pilsner, um, Sudworks Pilsner yeah. was very good. Um, and then there's another brewery that came off out of there um, that ended up they branched off. Their head brewer left and opened up a brewery. Do you remember what it's called? They were name of the pilsner. Sudworks. Slowpour pills. 
Well, the, the name of the Pilsner is Slow Pour Pils, and okay. it's a brewery that's in, I just can't think of the name of the, I'll the do brewery the research, right now. I'll and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll announce it at the end. Okay. We, yeah, we look it up. And I, I think a funny thing about that, that festival as well, um, that was the only time that they brewed and released, it was a collaboration between Russian River and Firestone Walker, and Holy it was a Pilsner, cow. it was called uh, Stevo. So Russian River does an ST Pils, yeah. and then Pivo Pils, they put it together, it was called Stevo, Stevo Pils. There was a longer line for people to try this Pilsner than there was for, you know, side project beers or bottle logic beers or these really esoteric um, mixed fermentation or sour beers. People were more excited about drinking a Pilsner than they were yeah, that's, that's Dark that, Lord. That which is really, was, yeah, yeah. Which was, honestly, it's, it's encouraging because I think he and I are on the same page that when we drink, when we sit down and have a couple of beers, we want to have a couple of beers. Yeah. And 4 or 5% alcohol, dry, crisp, but flavorful, that's... I think that's what we're both looking for at to- it. Totally agree. And if it's lower and well done, like three and a half, I'm fine with that too. Yeah. Beerstadt is the name of the brewery okay. that awesome. I was trying to reference as far as slow pour pills goes. Where, where are they from? They're in the Denver area. Huh. Need to try Denver. I, would, I still haven't gone. Still have not been to uh, Denver, Colorado. It's, it's pretty cool. You can't, yeah, it's can't up there swing on a dead list. cat and not hit a brewery out yeah, there. Yeah, that's what we hear. Like Jillian and I, it's on our... It's definitely on our list. So um, any future collabs coming up that we know of that you guys could talk about? Or? Uh, I fly to Costa Rica this Saturday to brew at uh, Trenta Ysinco, Um and uh, we're brewing a double IPA. Um, and then Coronado in early February and Knee Deep in early February. And then Galway Bay will be here February the 13th to brew okay. here. And so, uh, quick question. Uh, actually, this is a question coming from the social media. Uh, we do a thing called Brutally Honest, and uh, I'm giving him, he's our web designer, but he actually asked something really funny, and I wanted to know. I was like, yeah, why is it called that? And we're going to get into uh, titles of beers, but also, we'll get into titles of beers. But Let the, me make a correction real fast yeah. <laughs> before we go, yeah. go on to the next subject. It wasn't Sudworks, it was Prost Pills. Okay. Sorry okay. about that. Okay. So, so with uh, 110K plus uh, OT, what is that name and where does that come from? Like, where did you come up with that name? There was a, a guy on, was it Rapier or Beer Advocate? Rapier. Rapier and his, his handle was Cobra. Um, and uh, he could be kind of honorary. Um, and he posted in one of the threads, um, how much do you make a year? And waited basically till everybody replied and then replied that he made 110K plus overtime. So that's where, <laughs> like, basically it's trying to one-up everything that right. everybody else says. Um, so we just thought it would be really cool and came up with, uh, like, the, the definition of a whole lot and then a little bit more. Yeah, that, that is funny. Well, I didn't even think of that's where that kind of, I mean, the 110K, you were wondering, is it, like, pounds? Like, what are they talking about then, the OT? You know, a lot of abbreviations come into beer. Like anytime the FTs come in, like for trade, which we won't even get into trading, um, you, you just see everything is abbreviated. By the time I'm looking at it, yeah, I'm like, beer I, geeks are lazy. It, it's what actually, is it, four or five extra keystrokes to type an actual friggin' word? What's crazy to me is <laughs> I, I don't feel, understand. I feel that beer geeks, I'm, I'm starting to, as we were doing this, like in the last seven months, I'm going, Beer geeks don't like to abbreviate. More snobs like to abbreviate. And then, like, let's let's get the beer geeks to spell everything out. We're trying to get that. Like, we are on the spell everything out list. Like, I'm done. I'm over the fact that we're abbreviating everything. I, I, you so get onto annoying. some of these beer forums, Shit. and it's 
Hey, is anybody so trying the latest batch of LMNOP? <laughs> I don't think it holds up to JKROFLTTYLJK. Oh, Look, I, I don't, I, need I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't need a Dakota ring yeah. to figure out what beer that you want or what I want. It's just, yeah, it's annoying as hell. So, um, I, so will say that, I will say that it's practiced in the military, too. There's Two lots of abbreviations in the military, yeah. All right, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get that, if that's who's doing it, to stop. I, so, I, I don't care who's doing it. They need to stop. <laughs> they need to stop. <laughs> and I, uh, it, is it hurting you, your fingers, that much more to type yeah, the I word mean, bourbon instead of B? Oh, wait, you know, also, if you guys are typing it on your iPhones or your Androids, there's a dictation button. You could use that. Talk. Talk into your phone. It doesn't hurt. So when you think of a beer, does the title come first or does the... The flavors, do you taste it and say, that's it? So how does that happen? For me, it's always the concept. Always like the concept. The, like the, yeah, like what am I going for here? You know, like what's supposed to be the end result? Is it, what, what components should this beer have? How should it smell and taste and finish? And all those things are the first things that come to mind. And once I kind of define that in my head, then I can start working on what, what raw materials and what process it'll take to make that, that happen. And so, and what does your drawing board look like? I mean, in when Wayne comes to work, is there like a huge, the post-it the size of like a garage door, like a hangar door, or like how do you come up with ideas? Are you tasting them? Your palate must be incredible. It just all stays in my head. It stays um, in your head. And then it comes out on paper, and it just looks like percentages and raw materials. Yeah. And then, um, then that gets translated into our brew house efficiency and and process is specified as far as how it should be conducted in order to hopefully get the result that I have visualized in my head. So if I look at it like on paper, I would just kind of pat you on the shoulder and say, good luck, and and I can't wait to try it. It, it probably would not mean anything. Go over my head, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of it goes back to what Wayne was saying earlier, where a lot of the inspiration for the recipes he's coming up with are coming from culinary, whether it's ingredients or processes, that sort of thing. And you mentioned earlier about his travel and kind of what's if we're not releasing the beer in the u.s kind of well, why is he traveling right right you know when he's on the road he's going when he's in iceland he's trying a traditional icelandic dessert when he's going to australia you know he's trying a ingredient that's tradition that's uh, indigenous to the area so a lot of these trips he's essentially doing recon and trying to um, familiarize himself with new ingredients, whether it's a culinary process, whether it's a dish that he's never heard of. And then he'll come back and say, hey, I had this ridiculous uh, flambe dessert in uh, the middle of nowhere in you know Kazakhstan. I want to brew a beer that's inspired See, by it. I am in love with that because uh, one of my 2016s is uh, Central 28 has that El Bulli based on uh, the restaurant El Bulli in Spain. And that was our first episode. We kind of really got into taking apart the flavors of trying it there and wanting to replicate it here in the beer and why not and i i know for a fact and i'm speaking i know for many people you do this wonderfully like i can't wait to come into this tasting room just to look at your crawler station then to go into the tasting room back to the crawler station and then back i mean you have two sections where mm. beer is being poured here but in the next room beer is being poured there and what, okay so what am i going to take home but what am i trying here i could honestly spend eight hours in what i feel is a flavor amusement park to my to beers and i and i appreciate that and i love what you guys are doing and your names are fantastic so you know so um like try i'm trying to think of some other names in my head 
But uh, are, well, are there other names that you're thinking of for like? Is there other flavors that you're thinking of? Is there anything? I'm not really the the name person. That I usually rely on other people to take care of that. But you know, like I've been known to take pictures of menu item descriptions. Okay. Just so okay. I can keep that logged in my head. Um, the thing that makes it one of the things that can make it really complicated is trying to get some of these raw materials like say from Australia yeah. here at yeah. any volume in order to be able to make the beer becomes pretty complicated mm -hmm. and price and price uh, pricey um, so sometimes it, it makes that more complicated um, but yeah it's you know it's, a lot of it's like what Neil says it's just being inspired by different things and tried to trying to retain that enough to where I can recall it and then create that concept on paper and then hand it off to our production manager and say, I want to brew this. So how many people work under you like, that are helping you assist your brewing? Like, we like have a many? director of brewing operations and production manager or probably, they would be the people that I'd go to first. Um, you know, but then you know, our, our CFO is also involved. Um, and uh, we have a, a packaging manager, seller manager. All these people are key integral pieces of our team, which is great in order to get these things done, you know? Yeah. Because it's not, a lot of these things aren't easily uh, achieved and, and finished, so. Or able to be achieved. <laughs> so, so some of the stuff the wing comes back with, we look at it and go, there's just no way to use that raw material. Or we'll look at it, like you said, our CFO will get involved and go, Man, that's a really cool idea, but we're actually going to lose money making this beer. Has there so. been one that you're brokenhearted? Like, I, I would have done anything. Like, we've definitely lost money uh, making beer before, but uh, I, I personally have issue with with money that with, with beers that that we lose money on. But I think that it's it's definitely fine to make a break-even beer every once in a while. Um, in order to get that concept out into into the world, and and, and we do that. It's not always a, a numbers-driven thing. There are right. times where we go, you know what? This is something that we think is going to knock it out of the park. We might might not set the world on fire financially, but this is going to get people's attention. It's something that we think is going to elevate our exposure out in the world. Okay, and um, out in the world. Are we seeing Cigar City distributed further out now? Like, when can we expect to see Cigar City um, in the, in the, the U.S. or yeah, well, Northwest. I mean, like, you know, I know some places still can't. Some are there still locations in the U.S. that can't get it? Sure. It's been a while since sure. I've been on the West Coast. So most of the U.S. Yeah. Of the world, yeah. yeah, right. Is but, there? Well, see, is the good thing is, you know, like, it, production at, at different uh, OB facilities will allow us to put fresh product into different parts of of the U.S. Um, and that's part of the whole strategy. Good. Um, and, uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense to make beer in Tampa and, and send it all the way to Washington State or Oregon. And, you know, it would be better maybe to produce that in Colorado right, okay. if we're trying to reach that market. Because, yeah, a highlight, um, it's almost like you'd want to ship it, two-day shipping to get it there where people can fresh, enjoy fresh it. The, the fresher, better. the better. Just Absolutely. like it doesn't exactly. make sense to start distributing in Maine and brew the product in Tampa, probably right. better brew it in Brevard to get it to Maine in a more fresh state. And uh, we talk about OB, Oscar Blues. Uh, how did that partnership happen, and uh, and when did that happen? That was It was uh, finalized in July of 2016. That's when it officially took, like, the deal officially went through, and it was, you know, um, it was all said and done. Um, but I, I think it was announced in March. Right, okay. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I remember it was sometime earlier in the yeah, year. It was the, the Monday after Hunapu Day. Oh, um, okay, okay, that's but right. But it's, it's something that Joey had been, and Joey being our, our founder and our CEO, he'd been pursuing options to essentially take chips off the table. Right. Um, the reality is he's very debt averse in his personal life and he's debt averse in his professional life. So he said, all right, if, if we're going to continue to grow, here are my options. I can take out a many, many millions of dollars loan from a bank and be beholden to a bank, or we could partner with another brewery and look at options going that way. So he decided, again, being personally and professionally debt averse, all right, let's partner with somebody else and let's see how we can help grow this together. Partnering with Oscar Blues just made a lot of sense um, from a culture standpoint. Right. Yeah. Those guys were really the driving force behind Craft in a Can. I, I love, yeah, we'll talk about like uh, the Pinar. Like, I, I love, I do really enjoy, I, I, I love what uh, they do. The Death by Coconut is probably, if I have to drink a coconut beer, yeah. they are up there with the they, coconut beer. They do killer they, beer, but yeah. I think for us it was more about Dales. their approach to business and also their approach to beer, which was definitely. Uh, on the same wavelength as us. And at the same time, they have three breweries yep. and they have capacity at all of those breweries. We have one brewery and we can't make another ounce of beer if we tried. Um, really? Or an okay. additional ounce of beer, I should yeah. say. So it made sense on a lot of different levels and Dale being the kind of person that he is, the, he's their founder and CEO. Joey, our founder and CEO being the kind of person that he is, they operate in very, very similar okay. wavelengths for sure. So it, it made a lot of sense, and I think the biggest thing that we're trying to kind of, let's say, assuage people's opi opinions or, or feelings about it is they're not coming in and saying, all right, we're going to change highlight like this, this, and this. They're, they're not at all. If anything, it's very much a two-way street. So okay. just in the last, literally in the last week, today's Monday, actually on Friday, um, filtration and clarifying beer was a, a big kind of point where we deviated where they say, all right, when we make Dales, we're sending it through regular DE filtration. And we say, well, with, with Highlight, we've really found that it's integral for this brand to send it through a centrifuge. We find that it's more gentle on the beer. We find it gets better clarity. This is, this is really important to Highlight being Highlight. So rather than them say, nah, you know what, we're going to filter it our way, yeah. they said, sure, all right, we'll drop a couple million dollars and we're going to actually buy a centrifuge. So they just commissioned it on Friday. Um, they literally have invested millions of dollars in equipment for them to be able to make highlight the way we, the way we make highlight. That's incredible. And I I don't think there's a lot of other partners that would really kind Not of at all. meet us halfway or you know go down that road the I mean, way the way that Oscar Blues has. So it's been the, it's been important. Also, the other issue too is it was um, with the centrifuge you can dial in turbidity, and we, while we don't have high levels of turbidity in highlight, we shoot for small levels of turbidity. And because turbidity is, what is that Turbidity exactly? is, um, is haze, basically. Okay, okay, so we were talking about so it earlier. Okay. We shoot for Perfect. low levels of haze because yeah. we want to, we want some of the, the hot polyphenols to be preserved because it's actually adding to the flavor of the beer, mm -hmm. but we don't want significant amounts of it. Right. So with a centrifuge, you can actually dial in turbidity level as the beer is passing through the centrifuge. And this also allows us to make our beer true to brand. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that. I remember when I saw Oscar Blues' name with you guys, and I said, that's a, it's a great partnership. You want great partnerships, and things do come better with partnerships, I feel. You know, we look at bands when, when one person meets the next, and you make a better band. Uh, one oh, person sure. meets the next person, you make a better family, things like that. It's... And when I saw Oscar Blues, that was a great handshake that was like, good. Uh, I think it'll be fantastic. It, it, it benefits 
all parties involved, aside from their culture kind of matching ours, the nice thing too is now that we're part of a larger group, we can leverage the size of our collective brewery when we're dealing with raw materials, when we're ordering cans, when we're ordering hops. Um, we're able to get a better price and essentially command more attention when we present ourselves to a supplier as right. Oscar Blues Holdings being Oscar Blues, Cigar City, Perrin up in Michigan, Squatters and Wasatch out in Utah. We have more strength in numbers than we do if we were to say, hey, we're this you know, 60,000 barrel brewery in Florida. We, we can we can leverage our size a lot better when we're with a, a big group like that. And I feel we have kind of eased off a lot of that tension of what people think might be happening uh, locally, uh, what people might be thinking would happen in Cigar City, but is there anything that we could tell the like, listeners, say, this is a great thing for us with Oscar Blues, where people think it's, is it in bed, are they in bed with this, or things like that, is there something that for, we could tell them? I'd say for me personally, yeah. the biggest thing when I try to explain what we're all about and also what other breweries are all about, someone like you know Breckenridge selling to Anheuser-Busch, let's say Coppertail, for instance, where it's family-owned, independently-owned, and I, as far as I know, they're not involved with any sort of venture capital firm right. or any sort of investment group. Like, to this minute, no. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah no. Right. So for now, it's Coppertail. It's the guys that own Coppertail, and they yep. call the shots. Between that and, let's say, uh, Goose Island, which is 100% Anheuser-Busch, there is a lot of gray area. Yeah. Whereas, say, maybe 15 years ago, it was more of a binary thing. It was more of you're independent or you're owned by the big guys, and, and that's it. Now there are a lot of gradations in between independence and being completely beholden to a, a large company. You know, there's um, breweries that I know that are owned by venture capital groups where the, the capital is coming from sources that I, I really wouldn't, wouldn't want to be involved in. No, yeah. Yeah, it gets political. I mean, it, it, really, it really does. Once you so, become something big, one, like we look at craft beer now, and it is, we mentioned in the beginning of this, there is one popping up like two a month in, in Florida alone, maybe more I'm thinking maybe Central Florida or in Tampa together, it's, it's blowing up. It really is. It's going crazy. So I just feel that, yeah, you're either going to be mom and pop, but you want to see the ones that are doing such good stuff partner and open up a city and a state. I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. I really do. I appreciate and, you saying oh, so. Of course, of course, because not only am I enjoying these beers, I want... Everybody, and that's what beer is about. I want to be able to go to another city. My wife and I, we travel three times a year uh, out of state, and I want to be able to enjoy good beers with people, and that's what this should be about. And I love what you guys are doing, because I know at any bottle share, I'm guaranteed to have one of your bottles there in front of me. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there was one last night, and I was like, yeah, the seasonal sneaks snuck on in. Da-dun-dunce. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, but it's, it's, it's amazing that I, I'm seeing people talk about it more, and it's good to see that people are talking more about beer, and I love it. I love what you guys are I, doing. So I think to get back to your original point as well, it's not like Joey, who's our founder and our CEO, it's not like he said, all right, I'm out. I'm done. No, right? He's still around. The guy is still hes still on the board of directors of Oscar Blues Holdings, so he's still very much involved in, in what we're doing. Wayne, it was, I mean, this guy and Joey, they built this entire operation. Wayne is still here really every single day. Wayne, you know, I'm Unless texting he's him. Traveling. And, but yeah, you guys are. And even when he's really? on the road, I'm bothering yeah. him all the time with questions about this recipe or about, you know, what the inspiration for this beer was. So it's... 
we're, we're still very much the same people that we were. The, the people that started it and really built it are still the people that are operating it from day to day. So very, very little has changed. If anything, it's just allowing us to make more beer, get more beer into the hands of more people, exactly like, like what you were saying. Yeah, I think this is my fifth or sixth time since the announcement came out, and I haven't seen a difference. I haven't felt a difference. And uh, yeah, I'm going to keep drinking because you guys are on top of your game every year, every year. And I, I think everything, yeah, so. you, I love what you guys are doing. And I, I think this has been a, a great chance to catch up. I get to try 30 to 40 different flavors from you guys every year. And I think that's, well, yeah, we'll say 30, we'll stick, we'll say 30, but it's, or maybe not. I, I really don't know because it just seems like I'm always picking up a new beer. Um, so any final thoughts? Is there anything you guys want to get, talk about before we, we close up shop here? Or? You know, we're excited about the future. Like I said, the future for us, at least in 2017, is going to be increasing and, and getting more beer into more markets. Um, as of very, very soon, you know, not knowing exactly when we're going to publish the podcast, but probably by the time this podcast is online, we'll announce that we're going to be uh, serving beer up in Tennessee. So Tennessee. that's going to be our first new market since 2013, really. Um, that's We're really excited about that being able to get more beer into the hands of more people, like you said. Um, there's new brands coming out. We're not, as we were kind of mentioning earlier, we're not necessarily focused as much on creating 100 new brands this year. Right. We're focused more on being able to make highlight at a few different facilities and getting out to a lot more people. That's a so, great idea. Like I said, it's a great idea. You at, should be. At the same time, there's still going to be a lot of beer. You know, you come, you come into the tasting room, like you said, there's going to be 30 different beers that you can try on draft, and at least half of them are going to be beers that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get them out in other markets. You certainly can't get them outside of Florida. A lot of those brands were literally just brewing for the tasting room, like that Space Pope IPA, for instance, or uh, the sour beer I was drinking earlier is called Bury Me at Makeout Creek. Such so, a good name. Yeah, Such it's a, a good name. Simpsons reference. Yeah. A bunch of us are big Simpsons yeah. geeks. But, um, you know, that beer... We're, we're always going to have beers in the tasting room that are ambitious, unique, right. that you won't be able to get anywhere else. So even though we are scaling up what we're doing and the focus is going to be on those core brands like Highline, and Maduro and Lager and Florida Cracker, we're never going to deviate from our passion for making something weird and crazy and ambitious and, and unique. And really that's that's why we're so fortunate to have Wayne, because he's always going to be able to come up with something that you've never had before or an right. ingredient you've never seen in beer before. So let's talk about something they never had before. Uh, we've been doing it uh, for a long time, and you have your fest coming up March 11th. You have Hunapu Fest. Uh, any changes to that this year? Are we going to notice a change into that, that for 2017? Or The single thing that comes to mind is... Uh, Are we allowed to talk I think about more, yeah. more attendees and maybe larger slightly larger area is that yeah, right Neil? absolutely there's going to be more okay. attendees and the, the actual we're it's still going to be in the same location but we've okay. kind of uh annexed some space around the, the park for sure so nice. it's going to be um the brewery count's going to be maybe a, even a, a, a few less breweries okay but there's going to be more beer from those breweries more that's, att more attendees that's good you know we, we figured we're trying to focus on having we want to throw the festival that we want to attend. Right, good. And a festival good. that we want to attend is one where we don't necessarily have to jump in line right as soon as we get into the festival in order to get this beer from Casey Brewing and Blending or Side Project or, or something like right. that. Some of those really, uh, the breweries that, that people get excited about. So 
again, we're trying to get more beer from those breweries, kind of limit the number of breweries a little bit more, more space, more people certainly, um, but it's going to be definitely a similar festival to the one that we had thrown last year okay. in, in 2016. Good. And um, yeah, I'm excited because it, I mean, it's a quick sellout. It's amazing how, how you guys do this. It's, but it's still run wonderfully and uh, the beer is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, I always get one bottle from, from a friend every year because I'm never able to go. I'm always working. Or actually the last two years, Jillian and I were away. So uh, we're hoping to say hi to you guys. We would love to see, uh, say hi to you during that. Yeah, so again, any final thoughts? Uh, any other upcoming events that are coming up besides Vinapu Fest? of we've, March 11th. We've always got something coming up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. New beer releases that we're excited about. We've, and where can someone find like a, maybe a schedule of those? Is there somewhere It's you on can our find website. That? Okay. Yeah, the 2017 yeah. release calendar. Um, the difference in 2017 for our release calendar, in the last couple of years we've released the calendar. We've said, all right, cool, we're going to brew this beer in March. We're going to brew this beer in, in October. But we would brew that beer, but maybe it would be in such small quantities that it would only stay in the tasting room because okay. we're trying to keep up with highlight, because we're right. trying to keep up with invasion. So the calendar that we released a couple weeks ago is stuff that you're going to see in every single market. So we've got Marshall Zukov's penultimate push, which we've only bottled once before. Okay. It's uh, Zukov's, our imperial stout. It's yep. got coffee and vanilla. It's exceptional. It's like really one of the, I think one of the best beers that, we've done in, in a long time. That vanilla hazelnut was vanilla, vanilla hazelnut. That was good. That's delicious. That was delicious. So that beer, it's on yeah. our calendar. Yeah. And if it's on that calendar, that means that in all the markets, that means in New York City, in Pennsylvania, sure. in Alabama, Georgia, Richmond, Virginia, and now in Tennessee, you're going to be able to get that beer. Good. Um, and I hope I people hear that in that city. I hope they're getting that. Like, I hope they go good, good. Yeah. And it's not going to be like, you know, you can get it at every 7-Eleven, but at the same time, no, we're sending beer to that market, and we haven't been able to do that in the past. That's, that's been awesome. a huge improvement for us, and that's, I think, what we're really excited about. I definitely congratulate you guys, and I, and I applaud that because, yeah, the beers need to be they need to be had. And how about you, Wayne? Anything uh, in your future coming up that you could think of with Cigar City or anything anything you could think of? Not, not that I can think of immediately. Right, um, right. Just uh, I'm trying to finish off the are trying to fill in as much as I can of the 2017 calendar as far as um, and how collaborations, traveling, festivals, um, and you have pop to plan selection, that. all that stuff. You yeah, have I, to plan that months ahead I try, throughout I, the year, I right? prefer I to have it all done by the end of the first quarter of the year, so that way I have just everything plotted out and I just execute it or, or go through it. Um, but uh, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes things end up coming later in the year. Okay. Um, it's nice to have all that in front of you, though, instead of having things last minute or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Guys, I thank you so much for this. This has been an amazing opportunity to be able to sit next to you guys and, and talk. Everything that I love is your beer. So um, appreciate you making time for us. Of thank course. You for thank us. you. Thank you. All right. And uh, okay, we'll pass it off to Jeff. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Cool. All right, Thanks. Bye. Take care. All right, man. How'd it go? That was amazing. That was amazing. Being able to sit down with Wayne like that. Yeah. I learned a lot. I, I know. I think everybody just learned a lot. Yeah. That was amazing. From, so from from a master too. Yes. That was awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, it just felt comfortable. I, I again, I learned a lot. There was terms that I didn't know, and yeah. this is what makes this fun. Yeah. This was what I really had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Again, with him. by no means are Quain and I beer experts. No. Right. But along the journey this year, man, we're going to learn. Yeah. And it's it's cool that we get to learn from the best of the best. That's why I like being a geek is because I never say that I know so much about everything, 
but you learn it along the way and you yeah. appreciate it and you're passionate yeah. along the way and you want to learn everything. Mm-hmm. It's all there. Like yeah. I know now every time I taste another Cigar City what Wayne has done. Yeah. And man, Neil, rad, rad. Yeah. I was super egg. happy that he was there because he, you know, he just he really represents Cigar City yeah. well. And the He's fact the elector. that and I, I I forgot I never asked him what bands he toured with. I was oh, like, yeah. dude, this guy got in the van like I did. Yeah, like, you know, and it's just like, well, man. next time we're there, we got to chat. About I think so, that. and yeah. uh, that's definitely. another reason we visit these breweries is we just kind of want to know like, what do you talk about when you go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I like that. Uh, this is a feedback we're getting is you guys are talking like I would want to talk at a at a yeah. bar or at at the brewery, yeah. and that's awesome. So yeah. thank you guys, and again, our email, tasting notes. At what ails you dot beer? Send those. Send that feedback to us. We're, we're loving it. We're loving it. And, and please do. The more yeah. questions, the more comments, the better. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start plugging our next episode. So we look forward to your brutally honest questions. Yes. Because uh, we love asking those questions. So please send send those questions in. Um, we we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, thank you to the audience. Thank you for the feedback we've gotten so far. Definitely. Uh, this week, huge thank you to Cigar City. Huge thank you to Neil and Wayne for taking the time with us. Man, we had so much fun. Uh, we look forward to the next time we're there. Honestly, we're really looking forward to Hunapu Fest. Yeah. Um, and stay deep tuned. D- deep down in my heart, I need to thank Sam Malloy. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, she's a good friend, and thank you for uh, helping us along the way with this episode. So thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Let's do it. The Cigar City episode of What Ails You was produced by Jeff Brennan. Your host and co-producer is Brian Quain. Our music is done by Sadmith. Our audio mix was done by Adam Tobias. Jillian Quain is our photographer and designer. Special thanks to Neil Callahan, Wayne Wombles, and Sam Malloy. Jeff, I have to say something really quick. Oh, wait, no, I forgot the thing I have to say. What? Happy birthday! Thanks, man! All right, see you next week.